0: And thank you for listening to the podcast version of The Saturday Part With Me. Colt Sebastian Taylor airing on AWSM Radio Saturdays at 11 a.m. repeats Sunday at 11 a.m. as well. And, uh, well, hey, thanks for subscribing and listening to this podcast. Remember, if you want a great social media management company, check out socialbee.io in the link at the bottom. Click on them, check them out, use them for 14 days for free. And after those 14 days, you'll want to use them all the time. All right, let's get started with this week's Saturday Report. Now broadcasting from his hidden bunker and fully stocked bar, it is the Saturday Report with Colt Sebastian Taylor. Thank you and welcome once again, my friends, to the Saturday Report with me, Colt Sebastian Taylor, adventurer, entrepreneur, and amateur shipwreck explorer, Welcome to AWSM Radio, an independent digital radio station that plays today's best music, old school classics, along with a rotating cast of all-star DJs. AWSM Radio focuses on mainstream artists, independent artists, along with a variety of interesting music and talk shows throughout the day, such as my own. All we do is entertain, inspire, and inform. And my friends, I want to engage with you, I want you to be part of the conversation, so... Find me on the Twitter, on the Instagram, on the Facebook, on the Cameo, on the Twitch at Colt S Taylor. Uh, check out what I'm doing uh, every day on cultsebastiantailor.com. I'm on twitch.tv uh, slash Colt S Taylor. Uh, I think I, as I mentioned. And then of course, of course, my friends, if you, ha- if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast version of the show at anchor.fm slash Colt Taylor. All right, my friends, let's get started with this week's Saturday report. First up this week, I'm sure you've heard in the news, but I found this story to be so fascinating. Going to cover it also uh, the submersible Titan, which was headed down to look at the Titanic this week, uh, was confirmed to have imploded deep underwater, and all five passengers uh, perished. ...in the incident. Now, for a bit of background, um, this submersible was uh, created by a commercial company... ...that for $250,000 per person, you could go down and look at the Titanic. Um, It was an unconventional design, apparently. Uh, Most of these things can only hold one or two people, are made of titanium... It went down there. This was made of titanium and carbon, uh, some sort of carbon fiber, super strong carbon fiber, could fit five people in there, and, uh, was I would say slapdash put together, but there were some questions about how safe this thing was. Uh, it was controlled by a video, uh, a video game controller, and, um, yeah, yeah, it uh, it uh, went missing on Sunday. Went missing on Sunday, and for the last, oh, five, since then, five days, they've been trying to find it, uh, deploying ships, sonar buoys, uh, other submersibles. Uh, but yesterday, uh, once a new, highly advanced submersible uh, robot vehicle was brought online, they went down to the Titanic at about 1,600 feet from the bow of the ship they found the debris of this submersible, uh pieces of it. So it uh it imploded. Now what what that means is that there is an incredible amount of pressure underneath the ocean. Uh if you're at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean, this is a pretty deep area, it is just crushing depth. Um in terms of measurement, I believe, like where you're seeing right now, that is equal to one atmosphere. Down there, that is 160 plus atmosphere. So it's 160 more pressure than the air in the atmosphere. So it's pretty intense stuff. And um, so when things go bad, they go bad real, real quick. And uh, it imploded. Now, fortunately, fortunately for them, they probably had no idea what hit them. Uh, it happened, apparently it happened so fast... That like the brain doesn't have time to get the signals from the parts of the body that something is wrong. It just basically snap of a, less than a snap of a finger, lights out. Uh, it's unlikely that they're going to recover any sort of remains. Uh, that's pr- I mean everything's pretty shredded down there, and it's just yeah, they they're they're not going to be able to recover anything. This wasn't just like a slow leak. This thing just boom, and exploded. Um, Again, lots of questions about uh, how safe this was. Uh, There's a few clips going on out there of a CBS News reporter saying, whoa, this is is a lot of of, uh, off-the-shelf parts here. Uh, Now, the billionaire behind it, of course, it's a billionaire, thought that visiting a ship um should not be complicated that you know, he wanted to open it up to more to the public to visit the, tit- the Titanic before it finally rusts away um so you know, there's a clip of him going around and says, yeah we you know we've broken rules that's the only way to innovate. They say you can't make a submersible of anything other than titanium, but we did and uh well, yeah uh I think probably the most interesting part is they had James Cameron on the Titanic. Uh, the guy who made the Titanic, the movie, he's also dived down to the Titanic many times. Uh, He says he has spent more time with the Titanic than the captain of the ship did. He's gone down there so many times. And they show, if you look at his submersible, which he goes down and visits, highly advanced, screens everywhere, backups on backups on backups. And uh, he, he said that it was highly irresponsible for... Them to do this and whatnot, and it could have been prevented. Now, here's the thing: submersibles in international waters, no regulations, no regulations whatsoever. So, if you're going to take, if you're going to fly a plane in the air, whatever country you're in, there's regulations that has to meet. You just can't it has to be certified to be allowed to sail. If you're sailing a ship out of a port, it needs to be certified by ship people that it is a safe ship to sail. This is kind of a legal gray area. International waters where there's no sort of law of covering what ships do. And, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no organization out there that handles submersibles either. So there's a lot of talk that, um, a lot of talk that, uh, there need to be more regulations and rules about submersibles and whatnot. And, uh, especially those doing it, like, on a whim. There's, you could buy a submersible out there. Like, lots of rich people have little submarines on their yachts, but they don't go down, you know, 6,000, 14,000 feet, 6,000 meters. So, just saying. Um, there was hope earlier in the week that they were still alive. They were hearing some banging noises, which is apparently a, a, um, a code that, uh, submariners use. But, uh, after further analysis... The the ocean makes noises, and that wasn't what it is. So, anyways, the Titan lost at sea. All five people on board perished. Uh, British billionaire Hamish uh, Harding, um, uh, Pakistani-born business magnate uh, Shazda Dawood, uh, his 19-year-old son Suleiman. Um, They were both uh, British citizens. Uh, French oceanographer and Titanic expert Paul-Henry Narlet, uh, who was 77 as well, and uh, Stockton Rush, the founder and the executive Ocean Gate, which was uh, piloting the submersible. So, all of them are lost. Uh, Weird coincidence, uh, the the Stockton Rush's wife, now Widow, uh, stands to be the richest woman in Britain now. Also, A descendant from one of the survivors of the Titanic. Weird, weird coincidence. Moving on and changing gears, uh, the Kennedy Center. Kennedy Center are honoring four new people this year, as they do every year. Honorees include, include, uh, Dionne Warwick, Billy Crystal, uh, opera star Renee Fleming, BG singer-songwriter Barry Gibb, and hip-hop pioneer, Queen Latifa they are the uh, the honorees this year uh, according to various statements Dion Warwick um Warwick said uh, everything happens when it's supposed to that's my attitude so I'm thrilled that they finally got it right uh, she said her eldest said uh, well mom it's about time uh, Billy Crystal said it's a, Billy, it's a beautiful thing there's a real special thing about it because it's not a competition it's an appreciation. Queen Latifah said, It's a pretty powerful night in America for American art to be part of that is very profound. Uh, so Dionne Warwick uh, has sold over 100 million records and 60 hits on the charts, including 19 consecutive top 100 singles, singles uh, with songwriters Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Uh, She used her music to power activism, such as recording the first song dedicated to AIDS awareness in 1985. Um, The number one hit, uh, That's What Friends Are For, uh, with Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. Um, Let's see here. Uh, She also made a recent appearance on Saturday Night Live, uh, because there's someone who portrays her on there. She made a surprise appearance on there. Uh, Billy Crystal, world, I mean, famous, unbelievably famous uh, comedian, lifelong uh, entertainer. Um, he uh, said, also in a statement, uh, "I was just totally, totally in shock. I had to say, immediately emotional about it. I'm not a man of few words, but all I had to, s- all, but all I had was a few words, which was really, well, are you sure it's not Bill Crystal, the Republican? Obviously, a joke." I've been entertaining pretty much my whole life, and I thought about that instantly about how fast this has gone. And uh, of course, uh, Billy uh, uh, Barry Gibb, who's 76, a singer songwriter from uh, the Bee Gees, said uh, in a statement, At this time of life, is not something you expect. Uh, he described his feelings as stunned, proud, and honored. Uh, the Guinness World Records has said he is one of the two most successful songwriters in pop history, the other being Paul McCartney. So it's not surprising that he is joining other such music lessons as Buddy Guy, Bruce Springsteen, Herbie Hancock, and Paul McCartney, who is also a Kennedy Center honoree. Uh, Billy, uh, Barry, Billy? Barry Gibb has won nine Grammy Awards, been inducted to the Songwriters Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, And knighted in his homeland of England. Um, uh, He's written for lots of different people besides the Bee Bee Gees, uh, including uh, Frankie Valley and Diana Ross. Uh, Some of his most famous songs include Staying Alive, To Love Somebody. Uh, He has sold more than 220 million records and clocked 21 chart toppers in the United States. Queen Latifah, who is 53. Uh, thought she might be a little young to be named in the case Saint Ari, but reflected that in fact her first album came out when she was 19. Uh, "Quote: I guess I did start kind of young, so maybe it's right on time." Uh, she does wish that her mother, who passed away in 2018, could have seen it happen, but uh, she said in a statement, "My creative partner uh, Shar Kim was one who told me." And he was one of my mother's students. We've been together my whole career, so he just got a little teary-eyed, as well and said, "I wish your mother could be here to see this. This is really, really proud moment for all of us. All the stuff that we've started as teenagers paid off in such an amazing way." Uh, Queen Latifah has won an Emmy, a Grammy, and been nominated for an Oscar. Um, she was uh, uh, the considered to be the first lady of hip hop. Has had an impressive career with roles. Uh, such in movies as well, such as Jungle Fever, Chicago, and also the television sh- television show The Equalizer. The Equalizer. Uh, Renee Fleming, uh, who is sixty-four, um, she has performed just about everywhere singing. Uh, she's sung at a Nobel Peace Prize ceremony, Buckingham Palace, Super Bowl, uh, Luciano Pavarotti, Elton John, Andrea Borselli, Sting, Joanne Bayes, all of these people. Uh, she's a goodwill ambassador for the arts and health for the World Health Organization. She has had five Grammys, the U.S. National Medal of Arts, the 2023 Crystal Award from the World Economic Forum, a Fulbright Lifetime Achievement Medal, and honorary doctorates from eight universities. That is a very impressive for a opera singer. So the Kennedy Center Awards will be broadcasted on CBS in December. I believe December third, December third, probably December third. Um, on CBS, also can watch it on Paramount Plus. It'll be held at the two thousand three hundred plus seat Opera House and hosted by former honoree Gloria Estefan. Mm, look at that, that's pretty good too. So check it out. All of them are very, very well deserving of these honors. And if you're bored this weekend, Red City Slickers. It's a great Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal movie. Next up, my friends, there's a new culinary uh, culinary fad spreading all over. Deep Fried Rocks. No, no, you didn't hear me wrong. No, uh, Deep Fried Rocks. Apparently, it is, quote, the world's hardest dish uh, it is uh, from uh, China, uh, south of the Chinese, uh, province of, uh, Hubei? Hubei. Hubei. Um, it's literally stir-frying stones, uh, that, uh, you don't eat or bite them, but you suck on the rocks, uh, to relish the rich and spicy flavor of the dish, and then once they, uh, have, uh, you know, sucked or licked off the flavors, they spill out the rocks, hence this dish's name, uh, Sodui, which I'm saying wrong, meaning suck and dispose. Boy, there's a joke in there, um, but it is it is it is starting to get pick up a lot of popularity, like um, various street vendors. Uh, so to do this, uh, vendors get rocks, obviously. Uh, vendors pour chili oil onto pebbles sizzling in um to, uh, in a, in a, on a grill. Sprinkle garlic sauce over them, and then stir fry everything in a mix of garlic cloves and diced peppers. Uh, as they prepare the ingredients, um, the sidewalk chefs will narrate their every move with rhymes, according to uh, various Chinese social media, uh, social media things, uh, social media channels. Uh, the port quote: "The portion of spice brings passion alive." Uh, The dish is popular, is as popular as alcohol. Uh, Customers are served these uh, flavored stones in palm sign boxes. Each portion is about $2.30 and then um, they usually keep the pebbles as a souvenir afterwards. Uh, This this sort of, um, this I guess meal, snack, whatever, uh, is believed to date back hundreds of years. Uh, Pat's passed down for generations by boatmen uh, through their oral history, according to local local media reports. Back in the day, boatsmen could become stranded in the middle of the river and run out of food while delivering goods. Uh, quote, find happiness in bitterness. Uh, they would find stones to cook with and other condiments to make the dish. So basically, I mean, it may sound weird and whatnot, but for me, this is like a popsicle. Like, it's something on a piece of wood that you sort of bite you 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 lick off and whatnot, and then you throw away the wood. In this case, it's just a bunch of flavors and crust on a rock. So different. I I you you don't want to swallow don't wanna swallow them, but if you're in southern China, check out deep fried rocks. Will I try some? No. But if you do, you let me know. My friends, it doesn't matter how much garlic or chili sauce or deep friedness you throw on my pal DC. His flavor is always fantastic. So is his music. That's his flavor. The music. The music of dance and whatnot. And he's got three shows here on AWSM Radio. First up, Fridays at 9 p.m. It's DC Live in effect. He is our in-house DJ here. And you do not want to miss out while he smashes it on the ones and twos kicking the beats from South Florida every week on Saturdays, it's DC House Party Saturdays. Uh, DC brings his uh, DJing, uh, freestyle DJing to the backs. House Party Saturdays gives you all the Miami vibe without actually having to be there for the top clubs or the bars. DC will bring the party to you. That's Saturdays at 10 p.m. And then on uh, Sundays at 10 p.m., You don't want to miss it out because it's DC live in effect again. So just to review, uh, Fridays at 9 p.m. It's DC live in effect. Saturdays at 10 p.m. DC house party Saturdays. And then Sundays at 10 p.m. DC live in effect once again, my friends, on AWSM Radio. We now go to entertainment news where officially Wednesday, uh, the series on Netflix featuring Wednesday Adams, Jenna Ortega, who is amazing at that role, uh, according to uh, various uh, metrics, uh, Net- Netflix has announced uh, changes uh, to its viewership metrics now reporting how many, t- how many people have watched by views. Uh, this is the average of hours of views divided by total runtime, while the measurement window has also been expanded from measuring a movie or show uh, from the first 28 days to 91 days, allowing new titles a chance to adequately grow. Uh, this will be uh, this will also be the metric that ranks the top ten lists for Netflix along with popular lists. And the announcement reveals that the new show now sits at the top of the most watched series of all time. So they've changed the metrics a bit, expand the days uh, where they count things, and they divide. They change how they watch, how they count uh, these views as well. And with these changes, it would better reflect what what people are doing on Netflix so they can better provide, uh, you know, suggestions. Wednesday is now the most popular English series of all time on Netflix. Very popular because it overtook Stranger Things 4, uh, which uh, had the edge of a longer runtime of 13 hours. According to Netflix, Wednesday series garnered two hundred fifty one, two 252.1 million views compared to 140.7 million views for Stranger Things 4. Rounding out the top five most popular English language shows are Dahmer Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story. Hmm, go figure. Uh, Bridgerton Season 1. Oh, so the so the Dahmer series, 115.6 million views. Never saw it. Bridgerton Season 1, 113.3 million views. Saw it, loved it. The Queen's Gambit at 100, 112.8 million views also saw that one, also. Uh, but the most popular series overall, regardless of it being English, uh, is um, Squid Game, with 265.2 million views. Uh, on the non-English show list, the series is followed by Money point four at 104 million, Lupin Part 1 at 95.5, Money Heist 0.5, Part 5 92.2, and Money Heist Part 3 at 80 million. I I guess that Money Heist movie is very popular, because it, it's on there. Hmm, go figure. Um, Red Notice, starring the trio of Gal Gadot, The Rock, and Ryan Reynolds, is Netflix's most popular English language movie, with 230.9 million views. Uh, the runner-ups for most popular English movies include Don't Look Up at 171.1, saw it. I actually saw Red Notice also. Uh, The Adam Project at 157.6, saw it. Bird Box, 157.4, didn't see it. And The Gray Man at 139.3 million views, didn't see that one either. So, um, I've seen most of those. Obviously not the non-English one, because I don't, I only speak English. But uh, those are the new top lists at Netflix after they've tweaked their algorithm and counting a bit to better reflect what people are actually doing on the video streaming service. Moving along to Closer to Home, uh, last weekend, uh, after the recording and broadcast of my uh, show, there was a pretty big accident in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yes, a tanker truck took a curb too hard underneath I-95, which if you're not from this area or the East Coast, is a main north-to-south highway running from Maine all the way down to Florida. I crashed under a bridge and exploded and collapsed part of the highway and damaged the other one to the point where people could not drive on it because it was collapsing. Uh, A few people drove over that section of the highway uh, before the collapse, and there was a noticeable dip in the road like... You almost bottomed out. It was about to fall down. So, uh, it is a major, major artery through the city, and no one could take uh, take any cars over it. And the bridge, part of the bridge was destroyed. The other part was damaged beyond repair, and it was a major issue. Major issue. They thought it could be months before they could put that bridge back in there, how they normally build bridges. So, obviously, you can't do that because traffic was being diverted on into the city and around the city was having a major economic impact. So, put their heads together, and it is a, I think a, a, a five-lane highway? I want to say it's a five-lane highway. So, instead of closing down the highway for a few months and putting a bridge in there, what they're going to do, what they've done, is they put up a wall, Sides and they filled in called backfill. They filled in the space between these two where the road has been damaged. And they're gonna open three lanes of highway while they build rebuild the bridge slowly in lanes, probably the next several months, if not a year, until they can reopen that section completely. So, and they thought it would take two weeks for them to do this. They will be reopening the traffic to the highway. This weekend. Less than a week later, they've managed to uh, reopen the highway. Now, it's only be three lanes and 45 miles an hour going through there. So, obviously, a bit of a bottleneck, but much better than detouring off the roads, going through the city, and then getting back up to the highway again. So, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Obviously, the bridge, the road that went under the bridge is going to be closed for months because it's filled in now. Uh, But they were going to work on the two outer lanes, repair those, then open those for traffic, and then work on the inner lanes, I guess, one at a time until they get all five lanes. I think five lanes. I feel like it's five lanes. Four or five. All the lanes open once again. So uh, pretty amazing stuff. They filled in the middle, not with dirt, because dirt can sort of compact and, and subside. But what they did is they got this glass Aggregate like recycled glass that's super hard, super strong, doesn't expand or contract. Filled that in with that, and then paved over it. Uh, in fact, in fact, they they're painting lines. They're painting either today or yesterday. they were concerned about rain because the uh, the the pavement needs to be dry before they can um, paint on it. So without delaying anything, they called the Poconos. raceway, which is a racetrack up in the Pocono Mountains, and drove down their jet-powered road-drying truck. So, to dry the track, they have this truck with like a jet engine on the back that blows air real quickly to dry off pavement, and they have that truck down there in case it rains. They can quickly dry off the pavement and keep it dry so they can paint it. Pretty amazing stuff. So, um, if you're driving down I-95... You're not gonna to have to take a detour here after this weekend. With that said, with that said, um, you'll have to go a little bit slower. There'll probably be a bit. will be a little bit of traffic there. A little bit of a bottleneck. A little bit of a bottleneck. But um, pretty big stuff. They thought it'd take months to reopen. Then two weeks. Done in less than a week. Good job, engineers. Moving along. Credit cards, debit cards. Do you have one? Probably. Probably. we we? Just about all of us, too. Does anyone just pay? Does anyone pay for cash for everything now? I don't think so. Why? Hard to keep track. I don't keep receipts. So, instead of keeping receipts, everything's digital, so I can look it up later. Well, anyways, uh, credit cards, plastic, put on the plastic. Well, you know, they don't last forever, and MasterCard is now launching a global plan to recycle credit cards. Um, They launched a global project to recycle credit and debit cards as a plan to save billions of cards in circulation from ending up in landfills. Uh, They initially partnered with British lender HSBC in eight branches in Britain. MasterCard says banks across the world, some have launched their own local initiatives, uh, could join the program to help build economies of scale. Uh, Quote from uh, Ajay Baha, President of Cyber and Intelligence at MasterCard, Inc., quote, We are inviting all card users around the world to partner with us, no matter what region they're in, and offer card recycling to their customers. Uh, uh, under the plan, MasterCard uh, provided shredding machines to HSBC, each of which was capable of holding 10,000 cards, or about 110 pounds of plastic. Uh, once full, they transfer the plastic to a recycling uh, facility. Uh, quote uh, from Jose Cavaro, Head of Wealth and Personal Banking at HSBC United Kingdom. <clears throat> the recycling pilot will provide us with some very important insight and will inform our long-term, longer-term plans. Uh, currently, Mastercard says it has 3.1 billion cards in circulation, and each year around 600 million credit cards are produced by the credit card industry, each with a lifespan of about five years. Uh, according to the Nielsen Report, which analyzes the credit card financial industry, the, it puts the total cards in circulation at nearly $26 billion in 2022 and could be up to $28.4 billion in 2027. Uh, soaring plastic use has created one of the world's biggest e- environmental challenges, plastic waste being buried in landfills, polluting rivers and oceans, as well, so they're hoping to take some of those credit cards out of landfills and start recycling them as well. So uh, look for that. I don't know if there'll be a program near you soon, but uh, I would not be surprised that uh, your credit card companies will start offering this to you very soon. Moving along, cities, most livable cities. That's right. The Economics Intelligence Units, the EIU. Uh, has come out with the top 10 most livable cities for 2023. Uh, the EIU is a sister organization to The Economist and ranked 173 cities around the world on a significant number of factors, including healthcare, care, education, uh, stability, infrastructure, and the environment. Uh, this year, Vienna, Austria, held on to its first place spot in this global livability index, winning praises for its reliable infrastructure, standout culture, entertainment, and impeccable education and health services. Uh, the city has occupied the top spot several years several times over the years uh, was followed closely by Denmark's Copenhagen, which retained its uh, second place position. Uh, Australia's uh, Melbourne and Sydney, Uh, dropped down the list in recent years. Sydney fell out of the top 10 list, and Melbourne tied 10th place for Osaka in 2022, but both have shot back up, taking 3rd and 4th place, um, respectively. Canada was also well-represented this year with three of its cities, uh, Calgary, Vancouver, and Toronto, taking uh, spots in the top 10. Switzerland had two entries at Zurich and Geneva, uh, Osaka, which saw a small boost in his cultural environmental ratings due to withdrawal of COVID-related restrictions, ran out the top 10. So, just to review, just to review. Um, oh, and of course, you know, there are cities at, like, the bottom of the list. Um, that includes uh, Algiers in Algeria, Tripoli in, in, in Libya, and uh, Damascus in Syria, as the three least livable series in the world. Uh, Damascus, consistently one of the lower-ranked cities in the survey, has seen no improvement in its livability scores this year. Uh, but Kiev, which was missing from the 2022 list due to Russia's invasion in February, fell down in the list this year as a direct result of the impact of the law of the war. They are now ranked among the ten least livable cities in the world. That is not completely unsurprising as well. Um, In the United States, uh, Honolulu is the biggest city with the highest U.S. rating, which is at 25th place. Uh, San Diego, which was at 61 on the list, Los Angeles 57, both dropped 17 places as well. So, yeah. So just to review the top 10 cities, number one. Vienna, uh, uh, Vienna, Austria, number two, Copenhagen, Denmark, number three, Melbourne, Australia, number four, Sydney, Australia, number five, Vancouver, Canada, number six, Zurich, Switzerland, Uh, seven seven place was tied, so both, these two cities are both in seventh place, Uh, Calgary, Canada, Geneva, Switzerland, number nine, Toronto, Canada, and number ten, of the top ten most livable cities, Osaka, Japan. My friends, I just went over the top 10 cities to live in, but the number one show to listen to on your morning, on your afternoon commute home is The Rock Sessions. That's right. It's our drive time show here. You're making sure that your evening slash afternoon commute home is fun, depending on what time zone you're in. Uh, featuring the hottest music on the charts and some other surprises in between, my friend, the beautiful, fantastic, lovely Rock. Rocks. will make it Rocks. Rock style. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., only here, my friends, on AWSM Radio. Next, my friends, we move on to bees. Bees. I am terrified of bees. I hate bees completely. But they are vital to the environment for pollination and, obviously, honey and whatnot. Uh, Bees, uh, half of all bee colonies died last year. Uh, making it very hard for America's beekeeping community to keep the population stabilized. Uh, beekeepers lost nearly half of their managed colonies and whatnot. But despite, despite that, they use costly and Herculean, quote in the story, uh, measures to create new colonies beekeepers are keeping afloat. Uh, even though that half of the colonies were lost, the beekeeping population has remained relatively stable. Uh, like I said, honeybees are crucial to the food supply, pollinating more than 100 crops we eat, including nuts, vegetables, berries, citrus, melons. Um to say the combination of parasites, pesticides, starvation, and climate change keep causing these large die-offs. Last year, there was a 48% annual loss, up from the previous year of 39%, and a 12-year average of 39.6%. Not as high as the 2020-2021 50.8 mortality rate and whatnot. Uh, beekeepers told the survey su- surveying scientists that 21% loss over the winter is acceptable, and more than three-fifths of beekeepers' surveys said that their losses were higher than that. It's a lot. Quote, um, Jeff Pettis, former government bee scientist and president of the Global Beekeeping Association, um said that, quote, this was a very troubling loss number that we barely manage sufficient colonies to meet pollination demands in the United States. It also highlights the hard work that beekeepers must do to rebuild their colonies every year. Uh, the, st- the population of the bees remained stable because of commercial beekeepers splitting and restocking their hives, finding or buying new queens, or even starter packs for colonies. Uh, said the University of Maryland bee researcher uh, Nathan Lee uh, Str- Steinhauer, uh, the author of the study. It's expensive and time-consuming. However, however, um, this is a not as bad as it was apparently 15 years ago, as you may require, um, because beekeepers have learned how to rebound from their big losses. Um, in 2007, many bee experts... bee experts expected an end to the managed population, as in there would be no more beekeepers uh, because they're losing bees so quickly. Uh, But they've managed to stabilize it. It's not a bee apocalypse. According to the author of the study, quote, the situation is not really getting worse, but it's also not getting really better. Um, Quote, there are threats certainly in the environment and honeybees have persisted, I don't think honeybees will go extinct, but I think they will always have these, uh, these sorts of challenges. Uh, some commercial beekeepers have succeeded in the past uh, by losing as much as 80% of their colonies in the past year. While other beekeepers did well, it also varied many, many other areas. Uh, Pettis, who has 150 colonies in Maryland's eastern shore, had less than 18% loss saying he used organic acids for mite control. Mites really, really hurt bees and um, will destroy colonies. So it's a pretty pretty big thing. Um, Also, the weather also hits them pretty differently as well. For example, Washington, D.C. had an 80-degree warmth in January, which brought some bees out of their normal winter routine, and when they turned cold again, they had problems and whatnot. So bees are very important, especially honeybees. Um, wasps and ho- the yellow jackets, they're not, they're not important. They're, they're not pollinators. Honeybees are pollinators. If you have a honeybee uh, colony, best to get a professional to manage it so it can be saved and moved to somewhere else to provide pollination for the food we eat. My friends, we have everything here on AWSM Radio, including sports coverage. That's right, Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. It's To The Rack with Mac. To The Rack with Mac is your go-to spot for all things basketball. Join NBA expert Mac Daddy as he brings you a full hour of high-flying hoops expertise for all things NBA. Tune in Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. and then at 10 p.m. also on Wednesdays. It's What's Going On? What's going on is our Fox Sports Affiliate Show, uh, providing listeners with over 150 combined years of sports knowledge. Hosted by Nate Brown and his crew, they've become a staple of New York sports for the past two decades. And now they're national and we have them Wednesdays Wednesdays at 10 p.m. So just to review, to the rack with Mac, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. And what's going on? Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Only here, my friends, on AEWSM Radio. And that, my friends, wraps up this week's Saturday with me, Colt Sebastian Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Remember, you can follow me across a slew of social media channels: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Counter Social, Twitch.tv at Colt S. Taylor. The podcast version of the show can be found at anchor.fm slash colt s. Taylor. And then of course bookmark Colts for all your Colt Sebastian Taylor needs. And then finally, if you're into social media as much as I am, I use a great social media management uh, company called SocialB.io. Check them out for 14 days for free. You won't regret it, my friends. Until next time, my fantastic listeners around the world, I am, of course, the one, the only Colt Sebastian Taylor, and I'll see you later. And once again, thank you for listening to the podcast version of The Saturday Port with me, Colt Sebastian Taylor, airing Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. podcast posted, uh, which you're listening right now, shortly after that uh, Sunday rebroadcast. And remember, check out socialb.io for all of your social media management needs. And until next week, once again, I'm Colt Sebastian Taylor, and I'll see you later.